Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, then we're going to have two Bible readings. Uh, first, Nadine will read from Psalm 9, and then Steve from Ephesians. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, want to thank you so much for the way that you love. Uh, you really um, put yourself out. You want us to know you. Um, you want us to draw near to you. And so you've given us the Lord Jesus. You've given us your word, uh, and you've given us your spirit. We pray, please, now that you would um, speak through your word, uh, by your spirit, so that we would see Jesus more clearly, uh, that we would love him more dearly, and that we would follow him more nearly. Amen. Hi, everyone. Um, the first reading tonight is from Psalm 9, which I believe is on the screen above you. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. The second reading is Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 14. It's week 9 in your little book, if you want to look it up. <coughs> week 9. Ephesians 5, 1 to 14. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not, not even but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God wrath, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but you are light, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thanks, Steve. Um, I've been uh, running uh, a course for new Christians over the last few weeks, um, and it hasn't been all I'd been, I was hoping for. Uh, it's been very good on the theory of Christianity, but not very good on practice, practicalities. And so someone came up to me after um, we'd finished the course the other week and asked, so um, how do I live as a Christian? Said to me that the course had failed. But... How would you answer that? How do I live as a Christian? How, how, how would you answer that question? How would you answer it? I'll tell you what I've heard. Uh, well, we're saved by grace, so there's nothing we have to do. Really? Do whatever you think's best because we're forgiven anyway. Really? Because Paul seems to lay down some pretty clear boundaries here, doesn't he? For example... Uh, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. It seems pretty clear to me. But tonight, um, we're going to get into this issue and see that how we're meant to live as Christians springs from who we are as Christians and the command to love. There's going to be three basic points. Uh, loved people love like Christ. Loved people love in sexual purity, and loved people walk in the light. Uh, Some of you will have remembered that little slogan, loved people love, one of our church axioms. I hope it rings at least some bells. Um, I really like it. I like the gospel shape of it. Um, Because it gives you a command, love, but only because of who you are, a loved person. It's pretty well chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Have a look at that. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're to imitate God's love, love the way Jesus did. Why? As dearly loved children. I often don't believe that, that I'm a dearly carefully loved child of God, one of his kids. But then there's the next part of the verse. Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ emptied himself for me. Oh, that's right. Okay. I am dearly loved. I see that and I remember, yes, I am a dearly loved child. And so Paul says, now as dearly loved people, love. 
So far, so good, I think. Uh, love each other. Everyone's on board with that. Uh, the Dalai Lama, the Beatles, the atheists next door. We all like love, don't we? Love each other. Happy, happy. But we don't like Paul's next move. Have a look at verses 3 and 4 with me. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Our world likes love, don't we? We like to love. But as soon as you suggest that love might have a shape to it, kind of boundaries, oh, no, 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 love is free. Love has no boundaries. Love comes from deep inside. We express love as we wish. Well, Paul doesn't agree. For the dearly loved children of God, love does have a shape, certain boundaries. And he spells out these um, boundaries which, for the Ephesians that he was writing to, would have been pretty radical. And I think they're pretty radical today as well, aren't they? Verse 3, love would mean no sexual immorality. That's the one we're really going to focus on tonight. But also, no impurity or greed, just kind of indulging yourself. Verse 4, no dirty language, no smutty, shameful, coarse joking. As God's dearly loved children, we're to love, and that love has a real shape to it, boundaries. Uh, Friends, Being a Christian is not like joining a club. I'm a member of the Reevesby Workers Club, of which I'm very proud. (laughs) They recently sent me a $10 gift voucher. I've been there twice. Um, I never go. Uh, It hasn't really changed my life a whole lot, I'm sad to say. Um, I am a member of Stanton Library. I never go there. I'm a member of Blockbuster. I've been once. And I'm a member of Koorong Bookshop, but I buy my books elsewhere. (laughs) I'd encourage you to as well. No, no, that's not true. (laughs) Koorong's a great shop. It is a great shop. I'm just a cheapskate. Friends, being a Christian is not like being a member of a club. You know, these things don't change your life at all, really. But being a member of Jesus is like being given a whole new life. Too often we think about Christianity just like joining a club. I've I've got forgiveness in my back pocket. I've got a ticket to heaven, and then I'll just get on with life. I've got forgiveness, thanks, Jesus, but how am I going to live? Well, whatever I think is best. Look at verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You see, friends, Paul seems to have some pretty clear boundaries as to what it means to be a Christian. If you persistently cross these boundaries, you're not a Christian, he says. Friends, this is, this is not a warning. He doesn't say, if you keep living like this, I'll take away your inheritance. It's just an observation. 
If you keep persistently living like this, you don't have any inheritance. It's just an observation. Now, friends, as um, people who know about grace in Jesus, you might be thinking this sounds a bit legalistic. Isn't Jesus on about forgiveness? I mean, we're in Ephesians. What about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10? If you've got your booklets, flip back to there. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Week 3. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay, yeah, that's where we were. We were all sinners. But then verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace that you've been saved. Just to make that really clear, verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, even it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, Dan, it's not by works. It's not by being good. Well, I agree, which is good because it's in the Bible. I agree. Thank God for his amazing grace. Thank God that it doesn't matter how checkered our sexual history is, his grace is still there for us. His, his forgiveness and acceptance are still open to us. Thank God. But don't stop at verse 9. What does verse 10 say? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, this is what Ephesians, this is where it's been heading for us. You see, Jesus has recreated a new humanity within the old one. A new humanity which is to be holy. God's beloved children who are to live a new kind of life. The way we were always made to live. You see, Jesus doesn't just set us free from the penalty for sin, the guilt of sin. He sets us free from sin. We don't have to do it anymore. We're a new people, a people who are to follow Jesus. Being a dearly loved child of God is not like joining the Reesby Workers Club. It's about living a whole new life, a life that is shaped after Christ. Love people, loved people love like Christ. And friends, I want to try to apply this in relation to sexual immorality, particularly this evening, which is our second point. Loved people love in sexual purity. Um, most commentators actually think that verses uh, 3 to 4 are all talking about sexual sin, so it's appropriate that we deal with this issue. By way of definition, sexual immorality is sex that's not moral. It's pretty obvious. Uh, what is moral sex? Married sex, according to the Bible. Pretty simple in theory, not so easy in practice. Some of us here will, will struggle with that. 
For some of you, it will be hard to hear me say that. Uh, Me, a married, sexually active man. I can have sex, you can't. You might hear me saying that. Um, If that is you, um, can I say, it is hard, of course, it's hard. Uh, But please try to hear um, God's word and not just what I'm saying. Others of us might be sitting here thinking, well, that's not me. I don't struggle with sexual immorality. Great. Thank God. But notice that Paul casts the net a little wider. Verse 3. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. When you sleep over at your boyfriend's house, do you know what your neighbours are thinking? Hint, hint. When we talk about sex, just like the rest of the world does, do you know what the rest of the world thinks? They think we act just like them as well. Hint, hint. Some of us might still be thinking, well, Dan, that's actually still not me, really. Praise God. That's great. But this passage still has a challenge for you. uh, Because Paul is writing to a church He doesn't say um, there mustn't be a hint of sexual immorality in each of your lives. He says there mustn't be a hint of sexual immorality among you, among your church life. This is a kind of a corporate concern uh, that we should hold together. We've got to help each other with this. That's actually been the thing that's challenged me most this week. Uh, Do I really care about the sexual purity of, of us all? But having said all that, let's, let's dig into this question. Uh, what is wrong with sexual immorality? Well, loved people love. Sexual immorality isn't really love. And it's not appropriate for loved people. We're going to deal with them in turn. Um, Marilyn Monroe, uh, that great sex symbol, once said, I've never liked sex myself. I don't think I ever will. It seems just the opposite of love. It's a sad reflection, isn't it? She knew, and we know, that sex and love are meant to go together, right? Real, deep, self-giving, committed love. In fact, the Bible says that sex is meant to be a way of us saying, I'm all yours. I've got nothing to hide. I'm giving myself to you completely, emotionally, socially, physically, permanently, exclusively. I'm all yours. That's God's picture, which might be a little reminder for some of us married people. But friends, sexual immorality can't do that. It can't actually do that thing. It might be nice... It's no surprise because sex is still a a good gift of God. No matter what we do with it, there'll still be kind of semblance of goodness in it. But sexual immorality can't do what God intended because it never really commits itself. By its very definition, it won't say, I'm yours for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. It, it, it doesn't do that. I once said this to a guy who was um, having sex before marriage. Um, 
And he said to me, but we are committed to each other. So why don't you get married? Well, because I want to keep my options open. Sexual immorality is ultimately taking for yourself instead of giving of yourself. And that's why Marilyn Monroe found it to be the opposite of love. Friends, we're called to love like Christ, this self-giving love. And therefore, sexual immorality just doesn't fit for us. And secondly, it doesn't fit who we are. Because we have been loved like that. We have been loved by a Christ who gave himself to us, completely emptied himself, said, I am yours exclusively, permanently, physically, emotionally. I am yours. He poured himself out for us so that we could be united to God, one with him, intimate with God, you could say. Sex is meant to be just a picture of the intimacy that we can have with God through Christ. So G.K. Chesterton once said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. They might not realize that. Friends, if we have been loved like that, can you see why grasping at other love through sexual immorality just doesn't suit us? It's like trying to steal a thimble full of water when you've got an ocean. You know what? It makes God's love look insufficient, worthless. Sexual immorality doesn't suit God's people. But did you notice in verse 3 what does? Right at the end of the verse... Sorry, verse 4, I should say. Right at the end of the verse. What does suit us? Thanksgiving. Um, You know those people who never say thank you? Perhaps you've got a boss who never thanks you for the work that you do. Just seems a bit arrogant, you know, just a bit presumptuous. Even in the little ways. Mate, could you pass me the salt? Yeah, sure, here you go. It's just kind of a little bit irksome, if you know what I mean. Saying thank you, just, it's just acknowledging that you've been given something. Um, you, you possess something good that you didn't have before, even if it's just the salt. But thankfulness suits Christians down to the ground because we have been given something very good, very valuable. Christ has given himself for us. We have Christ. God now looks upon us as he looks upon Christ, as his dearly loved children. We didn't have that before. We were dead in sin. And now we have life and hope and purpose. Saying thank you is very fitting We ought to be thankful because we have the ocean. And we don't need to grasp at the thimble full of water. 
Well, Paul um, adds a final reason for this directive at, um, at the uh, end of verse 3. He says, Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any other kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Again, it's about who we are. We are the holy children of God brought out of the world to be a new humanity. Therefore, Paul says, there mustn't be a hint of sexual immorality amongst us. It doesn't suit us. It's not love. Um, Brothers and sisters, if this is something you're struggling with at the moment, can I remind you of two things? First, it mustn't continue. Second, there is love and full forgiveness and release from sin in the arms of Jesus, in his outstretched arms. So come to him. Expose yourself to him. Verse 14, our passage ends by saying, Wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let him shine on you. Lizzie Williamson and I will be down the front in this little prayer area after church. If you want to come and pray about things, lay things open before Jesus, please, if that would help, come, come and join us. But finally, our third point, loved people walk in the light. Part of why sexual purity is hard is because of the world we live in, Right? My little boy Ned has just started at preschool, and when we were thinking about which preschool to send him along to, I got all worried. (laughs) He's going out into the big wide world two days a week with other three-year-olds. I don't know. (laughs) What sort of influences are going to come on him? Oh, what's going to happen? He has already come home with a bad word, mind you. Bum bum. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't. Sorry. I shouldn't say that in church. But that's all of us, isn't it, friends? We all live in this sexually immoral world. Our colleagues joke about it. The celebrities talk it up. The movies romanticize it. The academics defend it. It was the same in Paul's day without the movies. So what are we supposed to do with all this? What are we supposed to do in this world? Should should we go and live in monasteries? some nunneries, just escape the world? Should we be party poopers all the time? Or should we just go with the flow? I fear that we too often just go with the flow. I'm forgiven, aren't I? Well, friends, as I read this text, and particularly from verse 8 following, I get the feeling that Paul, I think I need to be a bit more of a party pooper. Really? Have a look at verse 8 with me. Again, Paul starts with who we are. For you were once darkness, cut off from God, but now you are light in the Lord. Been reconnected to God in Jesus. You have a, a new life. Therefore, live as children of light. 
And that means, as you follow it along, at least three party pooper-like things. First, don't be deceived. Second, have nothing to do with the, the deeds of darkness. In fact, don't even talk about them. And third, expose them. There's also kind of a flip side of that. Find out what pleases the Lord. Again, I know this can kind of sound legalistic, um, but I actually think it's, it's an offer. It's an invitation to us. It's part of the grace that Jesus extends to us. You know those charities that um, they kind of try to accost you as you walk along the footpath? You know these guys? And we've all got our different ways of getting past them, don't we? Don't we? You know you do. You think of it as you're walking up to them. I'm going to do the look away one. I'm just, I don't even notice they're there. Or, or sometimes we stop and go, oh, we don't, sorry, we don't stop. We just go, no, thanks, no, thanks. Some people stop, good on you. And some people, you've seen this one, do the, like, they just look straight ahead. I'm not stopping. I don't care, I'm not stopping. Do you know that one? Who's, who does that? Oh, do we have any here? Yes, a few, a few are acknowledging it. Just get out of my way. Uh, recently, I was stopped by one of these people, and I, was, uh, I did the talk option. I talked with them. And they, they held up this bottle of disgusting, muddy water. And they said to me, you know, there's people in villages who are drinking water like this. What we want to do is dig a well for them and provide fresh, clean water in this other bottle. It's good. They had props. I was very impressed. I didn't give them any money <laughs> Friends, Jesus is offering us the fresh water. We used to be drinking the muddied water of sin, but Jesus has come to dig a well for us. He doesn't just come and give us some tablets so that we don't die from the muddy water. Jesus doesn't come along and say, right, you're forgiven, you're not going to die, now get back to that muddy water. No. No. He gives us a whole new way of being human, a way of walking in the light. Verse 9 says, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. It doesn't sound nearly as sexy as sexual immorality, but this is the clear water that Jesus is inviting us to drink. So, Paul says in verse 6, don't be deceived by the empty words of the world. The world, friends, tries to tell us that muddy water is very nutritious and tasty. It's good for you. You're a sexual being with sexual needs. Don't let religion shackle you. If you're not sexually active, something is wrong with you. If you die a virgin, you never really lived. Empty, fruitless words. Because of, these word, because of these sorts of things, Paul says, the wrath of God comes. Don't be deceived, friends. Verse 11, Paul says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Leave the mud completely alone. We struggle with this. I certainly struggled with this as, as a younger man. Uh, how close can I get to the line without breaking God's rule? Do you know what I mean? 
How close can I get to the line of sexual immorality without actually crossing it? That's the wrong question, isn't it? How can I pour myself out in love for this other dearly loved child of God? That's the question. What does this mean for flirting? It certainly means not making arrangements to see that work colleague who's also married. Special arrangements. Verse 12, we shouldn't even be talking about it. Like Paul said earlier, no obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. We shouldn't be making sexual immorality a topic of our conversations, brothers and sisters. Have you had that experience when someone's telling a story which involves some kind of sexual immorality and you can't help but visualize it? That's, I don't know, maybe it's just me, I'm a visual thinker, so I kind of visualize it. And even once I've left the conversation, it doesn't leave my head. Talking about it doesn't help. To get sexual immorality off our minds, let's get it off our lips. This is one way that we can corporately help each other. The third point in verse 11 we are to expose these fruitless deeds. We're to lift the lid on these deeds of darkness and let the light of Christ shine on them. We can ask, does, does, what does Jesus have to say about these things? Do these things really fit with the gospel? Are they really appropriate for children of light, the beloved children of God? Or, are they, or is it a fruitless lie, perhaps? Shining, we should shine the light of truth, uh, the truth in Jesus, um, to see that the muddy puddle really is muddy. Now, of course, um, there's a flip side to that one. In verse 10, it says, Find out what pleases the Lord. What is the clear water? For example, how should I behave sexually? What's going to actually bear that fruit of goodness? righteousness and truth. We're called to think about these things, friends. That might sound legalistic, but actually it's just being careful to be God's people. Well, friends, we could um, apply that kind of thing to all sorts of areas in our lives. Paul brings up sexual immorality, impurity, greed, dirty language. We could add other things. Pornography, drunkenness, the list could go on. These are things that are not appropriate for us. They're not loving. And they don't fit with us being dearly loved children of God. So brothers and sisters, let us walk in the light. Not being deceived. Not dabbling with sin. But exposing it to the light of Christ. In fact, we're called in this last verse to expose ourselves to the light of Christ. Wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In a minute or two, we're going to take a few moments to to just pause and reflect. And I want to urge you to honestly bring yourself before Jesus, whether you're Christian or not. Don't hide from him. Let him see the the hidden parts of your life. 
the, the mistakes, the desires, the lack of concern for our corporate purity. Acknowledge them before him. Ask him to show you how muddy that water is and how clear and wonderful his path of life is so that you might live fully as a dearly loved child of God, full of thankfulness. Again, as I've said, this is a corporate responsibility for us. And so uh, Lizzie and I want to be available to pray with anyone for whom that would be helpful. Um, If you want to come and and pray and talk with us at the end of the service, you're more than welcome. We'll be just down here. Uh, But we're going to take a moment now just to reflect on the things we've been hearing about. Then we're going to pray a prayer of confession together, and then we'll share in communion. So why don't you take a moment of uh, personal reflection. We're going to pray a prayer of confession together. It's going to come up on the screen. It's one that's just trying to pick up some of the language of Ephesians. Would you pray with me? Our glorious Father, your love for us surpasses knowledge. We were dead in our sin, following the ways of this world, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We were by nature objects of wrath. But in your love, you made us alive in Christ. You chose us in him before the creation of the world. You redeemed us, you redeemed us through his blood. You made us your new humanity, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And yet, Father, we have not lived lives worthy of this calling. All too often, we have lived as the world does. Like the world, we treasure material things rather than your love. We have used words that tear down rather than build up. We have pursued easy friendships rather than your diverse unity. We have gratified our sexual cravings rather than honoring you with our bodies. We have harbored anger and bitterness rather than compassion. We have been greedy and idolatrous rather than generous and thankful. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that from this time forward we may serve and please you in newness of life to the honour and glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord.